Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Vala Afshar, and we're here at Disrupt TV. Welcome to the green room. Before we start the show, we go around in reverse order and introduce our guest. I'm here with the best producer in the world, El Froze, and of course, my co-host, First Ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee, Holger Mueller, subbing in for, of course, the icon, the legend, Ray Wong, who's coming back from Davos. Uh, and uh, so Holger will be filling his big shoes. So in reverse order, let's uh, introduce our guest. If you could tell us your name and what you're planning to speak to us uh, in, in, this, in this segment. We'll start with Elisa, welcome. Thank you so much, delighted to be here. I'm Elisa Van Dam. I'm Vice President for Allyship and Inclusion at the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. And I'm here with my wonderful colleague and boss, Susan McEntee Brady, to talk about some research that we did on women thriving at work. Terrific. Susan. Hi, and thanks Susan, for having us. Tell us. My name is Susan Brady. Planning. It's my second time on It's my second time on Disrupt TV. Um, I hope is my am I tracking here uh, live? It's um, I am the uh, co-author of Arrive and Thrive, uh, Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership, and also um, the CEO of the Institute for Inclusive Leadership. So thanks for having us. Welcome back, Susan. Larry. Thank you. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Larry Chinsky, and I'm Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy at One Identity, uh, where we focus on completely on credential-based cybersecurity. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about identity as a critical component of your security ecosystem. Welcome, Larry. Okay, well, uh, thank you again for joining us. And Al, let's, let's start the show. All right, three, two, one. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on X slash Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Holger Mueller, Vice President and Principal at Constellation Research. Holger is a thought leader, CXO advisor, professional speaker, author, and a recovering software developer. Holger, I saw this on your LinkedIn bio. Traveling the globe and cyberspace as Constellation Research Principal Analyst and VP Researching Enterprise Software with a focus on next-gen apps and future of work. Now, as far as recovering, recovering developer, 
previous 25 years before being a VP at Constellation. Global head of products, vice president of application development, and I love this, chief application architect at SAP. Welcome back, Holger, uh, on Disrupt TV. <laughs> Anything well, I left out? Did I leave out the red and black sneakers in your bio? What did I leave out? Those are super important because you have to give something personal as an analyst. I grew up in Italy. I speak Italian longer than English. And AC Milan, red and black, is my, my team. And my sneakers are red and black for that to show my loyalty. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, people tune in not for you and I, but for our guests. And it's our privilege to have Larry Chinsky, Senior Vice President of Global IAM Strategy at One Identity. One Identity delivers solutions that help customers strengthen their operational efficiency, reduce risk surface, control costs, and enhance their cybersecurity. Holger, Holger, listen to this. One Identity has 11,000 plus enterprise customers, 80 of the Fortune 100 customers, 500 million plus identities managed, and over 1,000 global partners. As global senior vice president, of strategy, Larry is a seasoned cybersecurity strategist with a commitment to enhancing one identity's suite of solution. He's got over 25 years of experience in the IT industry and a specific focus on identity and access management for the past 15 years. So he's on the forefront of delivering cutting-edge cybersecurity SaaS. His extensive experience includes collaborating with some of the world's largest enterprises, 80 of the Fortune 100, where he has been instrumental in designing, implementing IAM solutions across diverse industry verticals. Welcome, Larry, to Disrupt TV. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed. You know, this is my first first time with you guys, and I was expecting a little bit more energy from both of you guys. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you could amp it up a little bit. I'm a very outgoing, energetic kind of guy. I, I need a little bit more here. So we I know Ray do. very well. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray and I have shared the stage before. So, uh, you know, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm kidding. And uh, I feel like I'm not sure if I should be here after listening to Holger's uh uh, resume there. Maybe I, you have the wrong guy. I'm not sure. But, Chief uh, anyway, application so architect. Uh, Larry, it's very hard to keep up with Ray. So please, yeah, that yeah, bar is way sure. too high. I know that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Floor is yours, Holger. Floor is yours. Okay, perfect. Well, obviously, we talk about identity here, right? So, and it's so important in the digital economy that we know who we we're dealing with, who we're dealing with and working with. And it's great to see to have someone who has a background and the reach of one identity on the on the show here today. What would you say are the biggest trends that people should think of upcoming on cybersecurity and one identity and identity and IAM in general, right? From identity management. What is changing 2024 as we're at the beginning of it, Larry? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, and, and you know we've seen. Uh, of course, I get asked that a lot. Like, what trends do you see in cyber? Uh, what trends as it relates to identity? And I think it's pretty pretty obvious when you look at one of the things we like to do at One Identity, and one of the things that I specifically target is I try to get underneath what the attack surface looks like and uh, what the threat surface looks like. And so when you look at, and of course, it depends on which breach report you read and you know which type of data you're looking at, but somewhere between 80 to 86% of the breaches that you uh, see occurring today are occurring on top of the identity. And I like to use this acronym called EFL, which is easy, fast, and lucrative. So the threat actors today are not looking for a, a long time of being involved or being inside of um, an organization illegally, um, you know, trying to steal credit card numbers and things like that. Uh, when you look at diff the different types of ransomware attacks and how those occur, 
what they're trying to do is basically just find one identity. They purchase identities on the dark web. Uh, they fire them into an organization to see if one sticks. And then when it does, it's pretty simple to inject some type of encryp encryption algorithm and hold that data hostage, which is obviously what ransomware is all about. Uh, so they look for a quick payday and they're looking to get out. So as we look at what that causes, that causes organizations to um, start looking at identity a little bit differently. And a lot of organizations and a lot of vendors in this space talk about identity is, is the new perimeter. Uh, that is because we're now forced to build their security postures on top of the identity. So when you do that, um, you're now looking at not being able to use hardened endpoints like infrastructure devices and network segmentation and port blocking and content filters, things like that. You truly have to build your identity ecosystem uh, or your security ecosystem on top of the identity. So that's really kind of shifted um, how things have gone. And we add to that an enormous remote workforce today, uh, just based on the fact that you know people aren't coming into the uh, buildings and organizations uh, to get those layers of protection, uh, move to the cloud, where not only are they moving uh, their own products and services to the cloud, they're moving their security tools to the cloud as well. Uh, and then an, an enormous investment in um, hyper automation tools and AI. And so when you do that, it really widens out that attack surface. And so when, we, when that happens, we're really forced to take another look at identity as a critical part of how we're building our security posture. So uh, I would say and, and the short version of that, different trends, remote workforce, cloud, AI, uh, hyper automation, and those type of things have widened this attack surface out, which has caused um, you know, CISOs to rethink how they're building their security postures. What I like about One Identity is the amount of effort the company puts into educating stakeholders. Um, lots of infographics, white papers, webinars. Yeah. You had an eight, uh, number eight, uh, IAM best practices, and seven and eight ended with seven required periodic recertification of permissions, job roles, and membership. And eight was assigned, uh, uh, you know, permissions to job roles rather than individuals. And in the commentary of the, be the eight best practices and the deep dive into the eight, eight categories, it, it was summarized that IAM isn't something you do once and then forget about. It's a critical part That's of right. IT infrastructure and it demands continuous management. Can you first identify what it means when you think about digital identity for folks that are watching yeah. who may not be familiar with what is it we're talking about? And then identity management as a, as a service. If this is continuous and the threat vectors keep scaling, it feels like CISOs and IT leaders need to consider partnering with a company that has a platform that can provide a service where you have continuity and always improving in terms of making sure you address vulnerabilities. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Val. As a matter of fact, you know, One Identity, you talked about the education um, and how we approach that. And I like to do what I call start at the beginning, not start in the middle. Uh, and, and, you know, we're a technology company. Technology companies are very excited about their technology. They want to create <laughs> technology and build technology and then drop it out in the industry and say, this is what you need. But like I just talked about, what we like to do is start at the beginning with an education process on why identity is so important. It starts with, when you look at the most widely publicized breaches that have occurred today, when you, I mean, you go all the way back to SolarWinds, uh, you know, um, you know, the two big casinos in Vegas that just happened with Caesars and uh, MGM, you know, we got the Colonial Pipeline, we got JBS, you know, whoever thought that a, a meat processing slaughterhouse would be, did they ever think that anybody would care about their data? So we like to talk about, look at all these organizations here, the identity is what was breached, 
the two things though that they had is they all had an identity tool deployed uh, to, to protect them against those sorts mm -hmm. of things. Uh, and they all um, are different industry verticals are kind of all over the map, which shows that that's, so we like to start with, look at that. And then we talk about the enterprise attack surface, like I just mentioned, then get to what is required today to build a secure platform around that. And so, you know, these companies that are deploying tools individually, uh, that's what we call a fragmented approach to cybersecurity. And so kind of, you know, answering your question, uh, getting to, back to what you asked there, uh, we look at today, identity is the most fragmented market in all of cybersecurity. It's, you know, when we talk about where to spend the money, um, you know, those individual tools and buying in that fragmented fashion does not work. And if you look at those companies I just mentioned, they all had identity tools, still yeah. were the subject of a breach. So what we see happening now is a consolidation and convergence of these identity-based technologies together. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest, um, you know, points that we see that has shifted over the last, well, quite frankly, just the last really year and a half. You know, at One Identity, we started building what we called our converged platform or our unified platform, which was look at all the four segments that exist today mm -hmm. around uh, uh, what I call credential-based cyber and how can we fuse those together to provide a true identity-based ecosystem. So as we look to do that, you know, we have to look at where these different threats are coming from and then where are we going to build the value? Uh, because organizations, you know, they, they typically have a, a critical thing they're trying to get under control. Maybe it's privileged accounts or uh, maybe they care about operational efficiency or things like that. So what we see happening now is even technology vendors are starting to build this model where they're integrating all those things together. So for us, it's, it's much more about not building a bunch of technology and then deploying that like it was done five, six years ago, because we know that's not going to work. But it's how can we build and architect solutions uh, that can create this platform? So like, as you said, as things move to the cloud, we want to be able to build a, an infrastructure that is more cyclical. So it's always evolving. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an adaptive, um, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, completely uh, from one, from soup to nuts, and then it starts over again. So it's not like you build it and you walk away, like you said, Bob. It's it just, that model doesn't work anymore. So one identity, it's deployed as a service. It's truly based on the identity. And then it's always adapting and shifting to whatever trends we see happening with, uh, with regards to the threat service. Makes sense. Very, very good, very interesting. And that's a sign of maturity we see in the market to a certain point. It all starts with best of breed point solutions. That's right. Yes. Consolidation phase where some people say, oh my God, is innovation stopping? Possible, right? But the good news for the enterprise is you get rid of all the integration you have to do yourself. You get an out-of-the-box security, cybersecurity, identity suite, which does more automation for you because you're not in the business of integrating security products. You're in the business of creating value in your well equation. Is exactly. Yes. So great news for CIOs, for CTOs, who have to secure the enterprise to see that enterprise suite level building. The interesting thing is that we get as industry analysts anyway, what sets vendor A apart from B and C? Why should I yeah. go with that speed, right? So obviously right. you have to ask you, Larry, right? What do you think are the differentiators? I call them the hard, undeniable truths, right? Even right. your competitors say one identity will do this particularly right. What are those, Larry? Yeah, and so, well, and Olga, you know, I want to back up a little bit to what you just said, because I think part of what we have to do as um, at, at any vendor now is really help CISOs and CEOs understand what is happening in this market. So they have to shift their thought process a little bit. So it is a paradigm shift from the old methodology of how we are going to actually purchase security tools. We cannot 
deploy them in a tactical fragmented fashion anymore. So, uh, and what we've seen happening, this is what's very interesting. So I want to say it was probably more than four or five years ago. Um, we started working on what we thought was going to be a strategic differentiator for one identity. And that was the integration of all the four market segments that we support. So whether that's access or privilege or identity governance administration or active directory defense, you know, how are we going to actually build a true platform on, in, on the integration of those things to make it easy to operate. So when you look at some of our, uh, where we differentiate uh, strategically there, obviously we've been working on this uh, platform approach for the last several years, but that's been validated just in the last, I'm gonna say year and a half, mm. where we started seeing a lot of vendors talking about the identity fabric, uh, the converged platform, um, or uh, you know, other type, other, the unified platform, you know, things like that. But what, what the difference there, though, is but what we see a lot of vendors doing, they've been historically focused on a single market segment like access management or identity governance administration, which is the privilege and lifecycle management and things like that, or just privilege management. And now they're trying to kind of, you know, buy and stuff in, you know, smaller, lightweight capabilities to be able to provide that. Uh, the, the problem with that approach is that. Uh, we're trying to wedge in really, really lightweight, singular use case components into a much broader, bigger other market segment that that uh, vendor has been involved in for the last several years. And that's not their fault. It's it's that's just how the buying was that the buying centers purchased that way for the last several years. Where our approach is, you look across all of our four segments, they're enterprise grade solutions that we have have had a long time, and it's now just building the connective tissue in between them and creating a true platform there. So one identity uh, really uh, to get to, you know, kind of the answer of why we're different is we looked at all four market segments that could be stood up on their own individually and then integrated those enterprise grade solutions together to provide that platform. Whereas where we see a lot of our vendors doing, and again, it's no fault of their own, that's just the space they've been in, is they're trying to buy lightweight little pieces and stuff it into the big component that they have. And, and where we find that doesn't really work is if a customer really wants privilege, for example, uh, but they need more than a lightweight, they need a true enterprise type of platform, you really can't go to one of those other vendors and do that. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, at One Identity, our, our focus all along has been how do we create something better? The true one plus one equals three, mm -hmm. a model that we always hear about. Uh, that's what we're doing. You know, things around zero trust uh, and how that affects cyber insurance, which has been another big uh, trend in the market today. And that's really what separates One Identity from uh, a lot of the other vendors we talk to, uh, compete with. Uh, this is my final question, uh, Larry. Uh, sure. You know, as much as my co-host has been going from Consumer Electronics Show to National Retail Foundation to World Economic Forum annual meeting, AI has been top of mind in all of these conferences and frankly, every conference that we all attend. And yet when uh, analyst firms uh, ask CISOs to prioritize uh, the most important uh, element that they're focused on, cybersecurity is number one. Yeah. AI is creeping up. In fact, yes. in most uh, surveys is now two, three, but cybersecurity is number one across the board. And with 11,000 global clients, 80 of the Fortune 100, you yourself are in front of thousands of CISOs yes. on an annual basis. What do you advise when you're in front of a CISO in terms of how they can start with identity security or expand yeah. their existing capabilities? Give us some advice in terms of how you guide these folks, including folks that are running the largest companies on earth. 
Yeah, sure. And, and I, I tell you, the answer, Val, is probably going to surprise you, but we never start, you know, we're a technology company. We never start with technology. We don't even mention product. We don't mention technology at all. So the first thing we want to make sure that CISO understands is, um, you know, when you're looking at what you're purchasing today, like, yeah, we like to talk about this thing called situational fluency, which is understanding the market, you know, mm -hmm. understanding, um, you know, the, the space that that customer is in, understanding what's important to them, the business challenges, the technical challenges, and then how technology at the final, at the very end, can solve those. Well, what we like to, first of all, educate our CISO is the way that you're purchasing security tools today has to change. Uh, and that's based on, like I talked about with the threat surface. But we also asked them to prioritize what today is the most important thing for you to get under. Is it reducing your premiums on your cyber insurance policies? Is it something that simple? Is it getting your privileged accounts uh, under control? Uh, is it, um, uh, you know, uh, something around compliance, SOX, HIPAA, PCI, you know, whatever other kind of regulations? What, what, what is the priority? Let's start with that. And then let's figure out from there, how do we build a more effective security posture for you? So once we kind of get underneath the business part, uh, then we can look at, you know, what it would take to get there. And then technology, again, comes at the very end. So in order that, you know, we like to educate them what's happening in the market first, uh, because, you know, that phrase, you don't know what you don't know. So we like to go in and, and talk about what we see because we are the experts. This is all we do. One identity, as the name implies, we only care about identity and credential based cyber. You know, and so and things like AI and hyper automation that creep into that, like you just mentioned, Bella. Uh, and so anyway, we like to uh, talk about those trends like, you know, AI is typically a part of a, another uh, trend that's um, automation is a part of a digital transformation project. And that comes from a lack of cybersecurity skills. There's just a lot. There's just a lack of lack of talent there. And so they're mm -hmm. investing in these hyper automation tools to try and bridge those gaps. So we like to make sure that the, the CISOs understand that these, these automation tools are themselves identities, which can be breached. Uh, we like to also make sure that, to point out that, you know, the privilege accounts are very important. And, uh, you know, a lot of us talk about the, um, the fact that any account can be a privileged account. That's all it takes. So it's really an education for them. So we like to talk about all of that first, figure out where the priorities are, and then get into talking about what types of uh, technology solutions can can help them. So we never go in as a technology company and talk about that first. Uh, we actually like to talk about what's happening in the market, educate them, talk about the business, then get to how technology can start. Can start well, th thank you so much for you know providing solutions for what is the number one priority for businesses, not just CISOs. We're here with Larry Chinsky, Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy at One Entity. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you for educating Thank you, us. guys. Good to be here. Great. Thank right. you, sir. Uh, wow. it, it is hard, Holger, you know, uh, you know, because no company, no business is secure. Uh, so this is a, an ongoing journey. It's our privilege to uh, introduce our next two guests on our show. Susan McKenzie Brady is the founding CEO of the Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership, where she holds the Deloitte Ellen Gabriel Chair for Women and Leadership. As an expert in driving accountability, Susan teaches leaders, executives, and leadership teams how to create a high-performing cultures fueled by respect and has keynoted uh, or consulted over 500 organizations around the world. Susan has previously published... Holger, oh this gives me imposter syndrome. Susan has previously published four books, four books. The most recent one uh, was co-authored. Uh, it was a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Publisher Weekly, I think... Just, you know, trifecta. This is called a hat trick in hockey. Bestseller called Arrive and Thrive. 
seven essential practices for uh, of women navigating le leadership. Elisa Van Dam is the vice president for allyship and inclusion at Simmons University Institute for Inclusive Leadership. Drawing on her expertise in gender equity and women's leadership, Elisa created, creates innovative programs that develop the mindset and skills of leaders at all stages of life so they can foster gender parity and culture of inclusion. Elisa is a co-author of the Inclusive Leaders Playbook, uh, the work of the inclusive leader she co-authored with Susan. She co-authored several other publications, including importance of belonging in the workplace and the importance of authenticity in the workplace. Welcome back, Susan, and welcome, Elisa, to Disrupt TV. Hi. And I'm sorry I had to cut your bios short. We only have 20 minutes. Oh, We've done on. a lot. <laughs> come on. It's all good. Thanks for having us. You ready to talk about thriving? Yes, yes, we are. Holger, the floor is yours. Two authors, multiple books. Holger, you and I need to step up our game. Go ahead, Holger. Yeah, I'm at zero. I'm at zero. I don't know where you find the time, Susan. I need some some coaching here afterwards. How you prioritize it? I would be happy if we don't one by one. But hey, I, I stumbled. To be really honest, I mean, I should know more about this, but I, I stumbled over the Simmons Institute for uh, Inclusive Leadership. Right. Tell us a little more, like not too long, because we have lots of other interesting things. What is it? What do you guys do? Who funded it? Maybe where is located? Oh, awesome. OK, so uh, Simmons University is a Boston based university right in the back of the Fenway for those people who like to trek over to the Emerald Necklace. Um, we have been around for over 125 years and um, the Institute for Inclusive Leadership was formed in 2019 to codify and bring together a lot of our work in various places of the university, uh, really for one reason, and that is to manifest equity in leadership. Uh, our Obviously, our background and our specialty is gender equity in leadership. You know, we imagine a world where half the women, half the population um, are also half the uh, world's leaders. And um, that would mean a lot more women in leadership. Of course. Perfect. Very helpful. Thank you. Elisa, your thoughts about the Simmons Institute, how you were, uh, how, how you were engaged with the Institute and uh, additional narrative about the benefits of the Institute? Well, I've had the privilege of being at Simmons for a little over 15 years and uh, as a women-centered institution, had the privilege to really focus on gender equity for a long time. So having the Institute as a place to bring together a lot of good work that we're doing, including our wonderful leadership conference coming up, our, that's our 45th, 45th this year. Wow. Um, the longest yeah. running women's leadership conference in the world that we know. It. Wait, when is it? When, when, when is, is it? it? Exactly? April 3rd. If I get this wrong. April this year, Boston. And it's Boston in Boston at, 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 at Simmons? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Actually, we're at the Heinz Convention Center. We're online. And yeah. we're also, we'll have probably seven to 8,000 people um, with us, uh, about 1,200 in person at the Heinz yeah. Convention Center. Yeah. Very good. That's fantastic. So um, let me share a story of, you know, what it, what I think it means to thrive in, in business. And um, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, we had um, a couple of women executive at Salesforce go to our founder. And they went to the founder and they said, Mark, women at Salesforce are not getting paid for the same work that men are doing. Mark's first reaction 
what are you talking about? We're Glassdoor, amazing company, best place to work in Forbes and Fortune and Fast Company. All these accolades of a million people a year apply to work at Salesforce. That can't be. Now, of course, we are a CRM company, so we actually care about data. So these two courageous women executives actually showed data. And it stated clearly, emphatically, that women at Salesforce were not getting paid the same amount. So we commissioned the study, and sure enough, that was the case. And we've been on a journey which has cost tens of millions of dollars for us to course correct. It's a journey because we acquire, in the eight years I've been with the company, we've acquired about 60 companies. And with every acquisition, we realized, my goodness, they had a blind spot, same as us at Salesforce. So part of thriving, I would think, is equal pay for equal work. And so I'm going to ask you, what does it mean for women to thrive in the workplace? And even one of the best places to work, all these third-party validated accolades for Salesforce, and we still didn't create an opportunity for women leaders to thrive at our company. Hopefully now we're in the right path, but we weren't. Uh, what does it mean to thrive in the workplace? So first of all, I just want to say, I think sales, Salesforce is for sure a company that we've been watching for um, quite a while because, you know, it's rare that a CEO is willing to, you know, go out and say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to talk about it publicly. I'm going to be a benchmark. Uh, it was brave of Mark to do. And uh, we need a lot more CEOs on the planet to do the same thing. Um, so look, we don't, portend to define what thriving is for other people. Uh, you know, thriving is about positive impact. It's about creating, uh, you know, positive impact for ourselves and others. You know, Elisa really uh, headed up the study for thriving at work, you know, because we have access to tens of thousands of, of, of professional women, we're able to survey them on various topics. Wow. And our study really showed, you know, Women, I think all humans, women especially, they want we want to make a positive contribution. We want to learn and grow. We want to be valued and recognized. Um, I'd say the big aha from the study we have on thriving is, you know, when women thrive, they report being more productive, more likely to go above and beyond, and that they're more effective. And so it really makes sense for not just women, but management, leadership, and organizations to care differentially about women thriving. Um, Alisa, what would what would you add about the study and the impact? It was really interesting to see the importance of learning and development for women as they thought about thriving. So uh, intuitively, that wouldn't have been the first thing that came to mind for me, but it was a really strong result that in addition to feeling like they were making a positive impact, the ability to learn and develop is really critical for women feeling like they're thriving. So career pathing, do you mean development in terms of promotions, additional responsibilities, even simple, Certainly. like I, I know I can, sometimes you can have a sense of belonging, but it doesn't mean sense of mattering. Uh, so you can be part of at Salesforce, like an Ohana culture, but we're trying to make sure that our managers help people understand that their work matters. They matter. Can you, so is, is that what you, what does development mean uh, in terms of the survey findings? It's all of those things. It's interesting to think about. So learning and developing can mean different things to different people. Not everybody aspires to move up in the hierarchy sure. of the organization, sure. right? Sure. But they do want to keep learning and they do want to keep developing their skills. And when we think about the belonging side of it, the sort of definition of belonging that we came to through another piece of research is that it's about being uniquely valued for what you bring and who you are. So actually that 
it's very hard to feel like you belong without also feeling valued. So those Which I just have to say, I, I'm so curious about your differentiation between belonging and mattering, because I do think there's something there, but because we don't use the word mattering, per Elisa's point, it's almost embedded in what it means to belong to feel valued, to matter, you know? You, you know, when, when I when I had people, man, when I, yeah. sorry, when I had people management responsibilities prior to joining Salesforce, one of the habits I had when I had staff meeting or more than staff, uh, uh, large all hands meetings or uh, where it was not just my subordinates, but their subordinates. And I would start the meeting by asking the most junior person in the room, to share his or her opinion about a project, a product, because I felt that when I started the meetings with the highest ranking folks, it shaped the narrative. And if you opposed that point of view, you were probably not likely to share. Yeah. So one tactical thing that I did was open the conversation at the junior level. And I found that that created a much more inclusive environment where people felt that their voice mattered. It wasn't the best titles, it was the best ideas. So you can get invited, for example, to a meeting and you have a sense of belonging. You got invited to the meeting, but you don't have the courage to say something because you don't feel like your opinion or your experience matters as much given the others in the room. I'm not sure if I'm clearly articul articulating the difference, um, but to me, it's it, belonging doesn't automatically means or feels like you have the courage in yourself to challenge positions and and use data and evidence to create a more rich, inclusive conversation. Well, I just have to tell you that what you just said really excites me because I do think there's something about leaders modeling the way. Like, what does it look like to bring people into a conversation who might not feel empowered to speak up? You know, we're actually addressing this head on at the Simmons Leadership Conference in April. We've got Gloria Steinem, ready for this, and Trevor Noah talking about <laughs> what does it mean to bring in the men on the topic of women's leadership and to bring in oh. allies on the topic of inclusion. Let's just like have a conversation about that with those guys. So that's, that's awesome. Kind of awesome. Cool. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Holger. From my, my experience when, when, when leading mixed teams, engineering teams, uh, it's so clear that, and it's in the research as well, women often don't want to put their hand up, don't want to stick out, don't go for a career opportunity as much as the male counterparts do. Right? The, the male counterparts say, of course I can do this, and they have no clue. And there's a woman who is overqualified, who should be doing this, who didn't raise her hand two times, and doesn't do the third time again. Right. So the, the interesting question for me is like, how much do you have to educate the people leaders that this is a pattern? that they're missing out on the next level of better leaders, not seeing that the woman will hold back, and not the first one to raise the hand will automatically be the most qualified person. And also realize on the flip side that a lot of our male education value says, of course I can do this with some bravado or whatever, uh, and really are not the best qualified candidates, right? So how do we educate the leaders? Because the great question is what can a people leader do to get a stronger team and a more equitable team and a team where there's more women with potential in the team? What, what advice would you give? Okay, so that's uh, one of the core things that we're really focused on is the both and. So yeah. talking with leaders about exactly what you said, what are the criteria that you are using to choose who gets an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And how are your biases that you may not even be aware of yeah. subtly shaping 
who gets access to those opportunities. Right. And then um, our women's leadership development programs. And when we work with women leaders, we also talk about how can you raise your hand in a way that works? Because we know that from a gender perspective, we don't always feel so great about women who self-promote, right? So however you identify, it's true for women, it's true for men, it's true for people of all genders. We don't really love it when we see a woman self-promoting and if we see a man doing those same behaviors, we're like, oh, he's confident, he's a go-getter. Yeah. So it's both working with women leaders on how they show up and how they raise their hands and how maybe we support each other to um, have sponsorship. That's a huge piece of it. And working with leaders in general to say, like, how are you choosing who gets access and who are you sponsoring and who are you mentoring and yep. making sure that we create a more level playing field? But let's be clear. Women are ambitious. OK, so let's sure. you know this whole when when Elisa, when we when we published the Thriving at Work study, um, we were interviewed by Mimi Fox at Forbes and others about the, the trends, the lazy girl trends and the snail girl trends. And, you know, these are TikTok trends um, okay. and they actually have an interesting origin. But if you only hear the title, it does convey that women aren't ambitious and you could connect Holger that, oh, that's why they're not raising their hand. They don't really want to, you know. Um, advance. It's just not true. Uh, right. And th therefore, it's a little dangerous. So we, we like to promote integrated thriving, like, absolutely. But it takes, per Elisa's point, it, it does take sponsorship. It does take sponsorship. Right. My uh, my 21-year-old daughter, who's attending a college uh, in, in the Boston area, was applying for an internship. And it was an internship as one of, at, at one of the big four consultancy firms. And she contacts uh, my wife and I and says, I'm competing for this position and it's me and a bunch of boys, guys. <laughs> and I'm nervous about it because one of the guys was actually president of the class. So I'm like, no, these are accomplished uh, men who she's competing with. But she, and we had to remind her, who's been teaching kids how to code for the last three years? Who has straight A uh, grades? Who is a community leader? Who has done, you know, and and, and then, uh, by the way, the good news is she got the position. <laughs> so we're super happy. But it took a little bit of like, I remember telling her like, watch Susan Cain's TED Talk because she's an introvert. Watch um, uh, watch uh, uh, Vulnerability uh, TED Talk by Brené Brown. Watch Amy Cuddy and get, before the interview, go and stretch yourself and, and, and give a power pose. She's so lucky so to have get, you as her dad. Oh, I, I, I watch a lot of TED Talks. But anyway, and by the way, I have nothing to do with her success. She takes all the goodness comes from mom's DNA. But she got the job. But I got to tell you, like, I really think that her reaching out and us having that reminder conversation yeah. Put her in a different mindset, like I'm a warrior, I'm going to go and I'm going to crush it. And she did. So what advice do you have for, uh, you know, young women who are in college looking for internships and positions, you know, so early in their career? I wish I knew you two both. I should have. I, Susan, you've been on the show, I pro but I'd be nervous to say to my daughter, you need to call Susan and have a chat. But <laughs> what advice do you have for you? Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. And she's in the neighborhood too. Um, what advice do you have for women entering the workforce 
where when we had Whitney Johnson on our show, Whitney Johnson said, it's not mentors and coaches. The people that helped my career most were sponsors, people that put their political and social capital on the line. And they served as ally, giving, getting, get, giving me introductions to senior leaders, the budget I needed, the headcount, the safe space. So my daughter, I want her to build those muscles of earning sponsors so that she can thrive. But what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs and students entering the workforce? Alisa, do you want to go or do you want me to go first? Why don't you start? Okay. Um, so I, I would say, look, every one of us, if we've ever been promoted before, has been promoted because we delivered on good work and someone in power noticed. Okay. That's the bottom line. We, we actually performed and then we were acknowledged for that performance with greater assignment. Uh, where I see young women in particular uh, maybe shoot themselves in the foot a little bit early in the career is it's all about performance. It's all about head down, get it done, deliver. Um, what's true is we need to balance a little bit of that with, with actually uh, meeting other people, with networking within the organization, um, getting comfortable talking about what makes our strengths unique and where we can add value. I think you know it's okay to own that you have a unique suite of strengths and competencies and learned and inherent traits that make you great at what you're great at you know and, and so when someone says hey what do you love it's really important to be able to say i really enjoy xyz um, and be able to stand in that you know the sooner the better so that sponsors can sponsor you around the things that actually light you up instead of waking up in a job that you don't like so um, I would say, uh, you know, looking for networks and, and doing a little bit of socializing at work, believe it or not, uh, and not just trying to, you know, get get the to do list done. Alisa, what, what would you add? There's there's a lot awesome. here. There's a awesome lot. Advice. Yeah, I love both of those. What I would add is keeping a kind of list of accomplishments and that you can then remind yourself when you need that little boost of energy to say like, yeah, but I did this hard thing and I did that hard thing. And also, you know, I really got great feedback on this other thing that I did. So if you kind of have that list in your back pocket and you've thought about what it is that made you successful in those um, times so that you can stand on them when you need that little extra boost, I think that can be helpful. Um, but I really want to echo Susan's point about meeting people, understanding who they are and what their goals are, and then sharing what yours are so that people know you and they start to trust you and they are in a position to be able to sponsor you. And, or just to give you that pep talk, you know, who's on your personal board of advisors that you can call when you need a little stiffening of the spine who can say, you're awesome. I have the privilege of coaching some uh, Simmons students and one of them texted me one day and said, can you just remind me that I'm actually okay? And I was like, yes, I can. Here you go. Awesome. You are fantastic and they are lucky to have you. Uh, Holger, I want you to be on my personal board, but that's a conversation we'll have after this show. Holger, you have the okay. last question. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's super, super interesting topic, right? Uh, father of four daughters, I'm all a fan on this, right? Oh, the, the interesting for me is, the interesting for me is, um, are we trying to make the woman like man, right? The remember your accomplishments. Be have the guts in the salary conversation. Ask for more, right? Which women traditionally don't do, right? Should we not think about fostering a woman leadership style, right? That woman got the job because she's better at communicating. She's showing more empathy with the workers. People are staying longer on her team. That she 
didn't have the job experience and that she might not have so many accomplishments doesn't matter, but she will do a better job at that. Right? Do we have to find a woman leadership, woman quality, woman qualities in leadership position to really change that and not make men out of the woman, but find the other way of running and leading companies in a knowledge society where the biceps doesn't matter anymore or, or like uh, how much you can lift doesn't matter anymore, but what can you intuitively fine tune lead people which women are object, in my view, objectively better than men. Yeah, so it's true. It's true. But what's your thinking on that? Because that, that's my frustration, to be really honest, on the topic since twenty or so years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think the way the way I think about this is about actually feminine and masculine, you know, energy and and actually bringing some of the feminine to work and allowing that to be connecting. And um, there's not a lot of data that shows that women are more emotionally intelligent than men. There is some compelling data that shows that women are connectionally intelligent. So, you know, it's no different than telling my 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 daughters, like, I, I got eyes in the back of my head. Why? Because I'm scanning at all times, right? Whereas, you know, their dad might get a little bit more focused on one thing. So I think the... Um, I think what's true is we need to we need to open up the aperture a lot about what it means to lead effectively. And the bottom line is this the right now today it's I love you now do your job. I think we want to hold people accountable and we we need to make sure they feel cared for. When it comes to connecting the dots here, I think women bring a lot to the table. Um, having said that, again, there's not a lot of evidence that women necessarily were born with more emotional intelligence and therefore comfort level to care. So, um, you know, this is one of the reasons why we wrote Arrive and Thrive, my co-authors. We don't prescribe what, you know, thriving is for people, but we do offer practices like, you know, what do you value most? What makes you genuinely authentic you and revisiting your values over time so that you can show up as congruent? with what you really care about. Mm. Things like cultivating courage, even those of us who have accomplishments in our careers, we, we have to double down and think, okay, is I, I need to actually step out of my comfort zone and mm. um, and step into saying something and being courageous. So I, I do wanna invite uh, not just your, you know, your listeners who identify as, as being a woman, but anyone who has women in their lives, like these practices are actually, we hope, very, very helpful when they're intentionally deployed. And and Holger, I gotta tell you, I think we are on the cusp of seeing a very different leadership model emerge. Um, and we're hoping to do something big on that um, here at the Institute for Inclusive Leadership at Simmons. That's amazing. That's interesting. Well, congratulations already for this. The, the two guests you mentioned at your conference in April. Wow, that's 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 going to be an amazing event. I, I I'm I'm sorry, Elisa and Susan, but when my daughter watches this show and reads your Arrive and Thrive book, she's likely to come to dad and say, "Please connect me with these two extraordinary leaders." So I'm just well, she, kind needs of, to, you know... she needs to come to the conference. If she's local, she needs okay. she needs to come to uh, the Simmons Leadership Conference, and um, it's inclusiveleadership.com. All the information about what we do is there. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely share also my second daughter who's in the process of picking schools as a senior in high school. We're here with Susan McKenzie Brady and Elisa Van Dam. Thank you so much. Both are members of the Simmons Institute uh, for Inclusive Leadership. Thank you for expanding our minds and appreciate your, your shared wisdom. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. First of all, I didn't know that you and I combined, we have six daughters. Yeah, um, I so <laughs> <laughs> and and 
you now I understand that uh, you know your white hair. I only have two, yeah, yeah, you have four. No, I don't want to say you, that. Well, I told you I will do a culinary quiz with you at the end of the show. And for that, I have to literally uh, kind of like let the pants down. Don't worry, I have to take my visual background because I can't show you. Otherwise, what I'm going to show you. Let's do this. What is this? It's edible. Oh, it's goodness. squishable. It's soft on the top. It is salty on the bottom. What is this? Okay, so was, I thought first it was a Boston cream pie because I thought it was chocolate yeah, at the bottom. Yeah. Then I thought it was a corn muffin, and it's not a corn muffin. What is that? That what is, is it? it's, a, it's, it's a German specialty, right? Obviously, I'm in Germany right now. German specialty, it's called pronunciation first, a dumpf noodle. Can you say dumpf noodle? Dumpf noodle? Dumpf noodle, perfect. Like a steam noodle pasta. It's not really a noodle, right? Okay. It's, in the region where I come from, the Pfalz region, it's savory on the bottom, sweet on top. It's part of your main course with the soup or with sweets, right? With like uh, uh, with whipped cream or with some marmalade or other stuff, right? So that's the dumpf noodle, right? Which so sorry, in, in the soup, in the soup, yeah. are you dipping it in the soup? You, and... get, you dip it in the soup, you dip it in the sauce, right? And it has unique savory, sweet uh, taste, right? So Would anybody and, uh, put marmalade or jam on the top? Yes. There are some versions where they infuse, but the purest version from the files has nothing in it, right? We can show you here. Uh, and and did it, you right? make this? Did you make no, this? No, 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 no. You can make <laughs> it at home. You can make it at home, but these taste so much better. Friday is market day. I get the Dampfnudel from Opau, right? Which are the best ones and uh, feed the whole family. And uh, yeah. and, and is, it a, is, it, is it warm cider? Is it is it alcohol, beer? What do you drink when you're having... Oh, Pfalz, Pfalz region is always wine, right? We're famous for always wine. wine right? It's always wine. Yeah, this is a part of Germany where you don't drink beer, right? So beer okay. is warm. And what type beer. of wine are we talking? Chilled, Decent. warm? So, so, yeah, no, no, no. Wine too. White wine should be cold, right? So there's some red wines too, right? But um, yeah, so we can talk about wines next time. But uh, this time we talk about the uh, dumb food. First of all, prevented prevented wars, right? The story is like in the Thirty Year War. Like a local town was big confessional war. The Swedes were here, and they were saying you have to pay us to feed our troops. And they fed them with dumpf noodle instead, and they didn't have to pay the ransom or the feeding for for for, for the troops there. So, so that's I'm going to immediately. I'm going to immediately message. And L is listening. Our number one yeah. producer in the world. We're no longer going to have co-hosts that cannot bring this culinary wisdom to, to be expand. Some yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> El, please make note of that. Ray and I have done a poor job in eight years educating the thousands of folks that listen to Disrupt yes. the goodness of preventing conflict using delicious food. That's exactly. incredible. <laughs> who, who will fight when you're eating food, right? So, <laughs> uh, listen, I'm the most, I'm the least distracted when I have delicious food in front of me. Perfect. Next week, we have episode 350, a milestone for us, 350 episodes. We have Graham Sheldon, Chief Product Officer at UPATH, Hugo Rao, who's the author of The Friction Project How Smart Leaders Make the Right Things Easier and the Wrong Things Harder. And we might have a surprise guest given it's our 350th episode. Holger Mueller, thank you so much for being an incredible co-host. 
And not only you filled Ray's shoes, I'm now nervous you're going to replace me as co-host. No, so no, no. thank you. You make me look good, Rada. Thank you so much for having me. This was great and fun to have on two super interesting topics, cybersecurity and woman in business leadership position. Super interesting. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Don't miss the next episode. It's going to be even more fabulous and amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Holger. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye -bye. Thank you. Oh!